Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Sean here at Possible Church of Nazarene. Uh, we are so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, what a great, great worship set. If you are just catching us on Facebook, I encourage you to look at our website at Placerville Church of the Nazarene, or Placerville Plasnaz. Wow, where am I at this morning? At plasnaz.com. That's what the, our website is. I encourage you to check that out. Look at, uh, there's a video on there that will include our worship. It was a great worship set this morning. Um, and then you can also hear the sermon again if you listen to the whole thing here. But before we get started, will you pray with me? Father, you are so good. You are amazing and wonderful, and you are the good Father. You are the one who gives us your grace, and we thank you for that. Lord, I just ask you that this morning as we open your word, this amazing word that you have given us and that has been passed down through the millennia, Lord, that is still inspired by your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Will you open our hearts and our minds so that we hear what you have to say to us, Father? Lord, you know where each and every one of us are. You know exactly what we need to hear today, Lord. You know what I need to hear today. Father, and I trust that you will take the words that I am prepared to say and you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and you will empower them to change lives. And I thank you for that in advance and I give you the glory for what will come of it. We love you and we want your will in our lives. Now be with us as we dedicate this time to your word and to what you have to say to us. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right. We're going to be looking today in Romans. Uh, we looked at Romans a couple weeks ago, and we looked at in the uh, the chapter about um, building our finding our peace in Christ's um, and our faith in Christ. And today we're going to be looking in the seventh chapter. So we're jumping a few chapters, and Paul has continued this discussion about grace and law and the law and sin and and all of these different topics throughout this whole thing, and I encourage you to read it all. And I know that Paul's writing can be a little complicated. Uh, he was a lawyer by trade, so he was very, very heady, and he knew how to articulate and how to um, craft sentences that used words that had so much meaning into them. But when you translate that into our language from the Greek, which is the original language, some of that can sort of it sort of seems a little confusing at times, and that, don't, let it, don't let that scare you. And today we're going to be looking at a passage that when we read it, if you try to read this quickly, you would be in trouble because it's, it's a tongue twister. But when we pick it apart, which we're going to do that today, we're going to be looking really at what, what it is that he's trying to say. We are going to find that it is so full so full of the very thing we need, so full of the richness of who God is and what He did for us, that, that I believe it is one of the most powerful writings Paul writes. Um, I mean, the book of Romans is argued to be one of Paul's best writings, but I think this is one of the better, one of the stronger parts of it. And, and so we're going to be looking at that today. So if you'll turn in your books, your Bibles, not just your books, but the Bible, turn in your Bibles to 
Um, Romans 7. We are going to start in the 13th chapter, uh, 13th verse, and we are going to read through the end of the chapter. So if you'll follow along with me, um, and, and we'll read through this here. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is, that it is good. I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, did you get lost in there? There's a lot of, I do, I do want this, I don't, don't want this. I do what I do and I don't what I want, and I, I, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. And it can get really confusing in the middle there, and I, I don't blame you if you got lost. I got lost. But we're gonna work our way through it. We're gonna find, we're gonna find the truth in it, okay? So, we're gonna start out, first of all, by looking at what that which is good, right there at the beginning of verse 13. This, this passage is talking about the law. It's important we understand that. It's not just any law. It's not just any principle or any, or any belief structure. It is the law. The law that comes to Moses through God, from God to Moses, which is the Torah. It is the Jewish law. It was given to the people of Israel in order for them to see their need for salvation. All right? And so he starts off by saying, that which is good, the law, then brings death to me? It's a question mark. What's happening here? The law is supposed to be good. Ever since Moses, the Jews and the Israelites have believed that the law was good. It was the thing that brought them righteousness in God's eyes. It was the thing that if they did it, if they upheld the law, then they would be righteous or in right standing with God. But Paul is saying, but it brings death to me. But by no means, it's not the law that brings the death. 
It was the sin that the law is pointing out. So when we look at our heritage as Christians, we often look at the Old Testament and we think that that's the the past, it's the old stuff. We don't have to look at that because that's where the law comes from. And and we think we live in grace, which we're going to be talking about grace today. We're going to be that's where we're headed. But we have to understand where we came from. If you read, if you've read through Romans to this point, which again I encourage you to do that, Paul has made an argument actually repeatedly, that we are all sons and daughters of Adam, which we are. And that at the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that God created them in perfectly. He created them in His image, meaning that within each and every one of us, there is a a the essence of who God is, this, this desire to be with Him. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve distorted that through sin. They were given a choice, and they chose the wrong decision. They chose their own way. And because of that, every single human from that point on has been cursed with what I'm calling the sin condition. When I was looking at titling this sermon, I was going back and forth between the human condition, which is a, it's a very common idea that, um, that a lot of people have that we're just human and humans just naturally do the wrong thing. Um, it's a very prevalent idea within the church that gives us really an excuse to sin because it says, well, I'm just, I'm just human and I'm going to obviously fail. I, I can't be perfect. You can't be. But it's not because you're human. It's because we have sin in us. And sin, that sinful condition, that sinful nature that dwells in us, that is the thing that makes it so that we fall. And that's what Paul is talking about largely in this passage of this, I don't do what I want to do, but I do the thing I don't want to do. And we're going to unload that in a minute. But before that, we have to see the importance of the law here. Because Moses was given the law far down the line from Adam. It's, it's in a moment when God is taking His people, this chosen group of people that He has um, bestowed upon His blessing. Okay, We have Abraham. He was the beginning of it. Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then all of Jacob's children become the nation of Israel. And God has promised them and He said, you are going to be My people. I will give you this land and you will be blessed. They go into slavery for a very long time in Egypt. And God uses Moses to go in and through Moses' willingness to be a, a, a servant of God in this moment, God frees them from slavery, brings them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. They, they stop in Mount Sinai and Moses goes into the mountains and God gives them the law. And God tells Moses, you're going to be a chosen people. You're going to become a, a people of priests who are supposed to be this set-apart group of people that will look different than all the other nations around them. Because every other nation lived a very pagan lifestyle. They, they lived in their sin. They gave in 
to the sinfulness of themselves. And Moses is saying, or God is saying to Moses, listen, you're going to lead my people according to this law, and this law is going to help you be not like everyone else. So if that's supposed to be what it's for, if it's supposed to be what the, what the Israelites believe to be sort of their redemption, why is, why is it Paul talking about it like it's this bad thing? And, and it does sound like he is. He, it sounds like he's saying it's bad, sort of. But really he's saying, listen guys, it's not the law that is the bad thing. It's not the law that brings death to you. Because up until this point, he's talked about how there is no life in the law. It's all, it's going to be, you can't be freed by it. But he's saying, listen, it's not the law. It's that sinful thing inside of you. And you see that, that the law, which is good, is what God has used to bring your sin to light. It, it says that, um, it says, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, this is verse 13, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That is a challenging verse to read. Because if you really think about what that's saying, um, this in order that, Paul uses that several times in Romans, and it's almost always referring to what God is doing. God did this in order that, so think about that. God did this in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment, the law, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Okay. Take that to, the, to where it ends up eventually. God gave the Israelites the law so that they can know what sin is. That's, that's an obvious one. That's obvious that if you don't know the rules, you don't know you're breaking them, right? Uh, if you're playing a game and you're, you're playing the game and you do something that's supposedly wrong, but you didn't know that was a rule, it's not really wrong because you didn't know it was wrong. Now, if you have the rule book, you've read all the rules, and you do that wrong thing, now you know it's wrong. It's the same idea. With the commandments, you now know what sin is. But then it goes on to even, even further to say, that he did it in order that sin might become beyond measure. That it might grow and become sinful more and more and more. Why would the law do that? Why would God do that? Why would God give the Israelites something that would really, in essence, allow sin to become worse? Isn't the law supposed to be the thing that makes sin less? We see that's the sin condition. On our own, and that's where Paul goes from this, we cannot, we cannot become less sinful. We actually become more sinful when we know where the boundary lines are. Because when I was a kid, if I knew what the rules were, I could figure out where I could sin up to that it wasn't really a sin. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. <laughs> A lot of agreement from the, th the four people in the room with me. <laughs> when we know where the sin, where the, where the commandments are, then we can, 
We can sin up to a point and it won't be sin in the law's eyes, but it is still sin in God's eyes. That's the thing that the Israelites didn't understand. And the Israelites even tried to add to the law in order to give it more definition, which in essence actually made it easier to sin because they defined more and more the places where they could get away with things. It's, that is a complicated idea. And just by reading that, that's hard to get out of there. But if you know the history of Israel, you can see that. Because over and over and over again, they were a broken record, the people of Israel, where God would help them. They would become righteous and they would pledge to never do the wrong again. They would recommit to the law. And then all over again, they would find more ways to be sinful. And it had gotten to this place I mean, they're post the exile. So it got to a place at one point where God said, listen, you have so messed up. I am, I'm, I'm withdrawing my protection. And the, the Babylonians come in and they destroy them. They take them off into slavery again. But God is a God of grace and he doesn't allow them to be destroyed, but brings them back out and he reestablishes them as a nation and they continue again and again, to commit themselves to the law, but fall short. All right, we've gotten through verse 1 of our passage today. I told the team we're going to aim for not having an hour-long sermon. We'll see. I'm going to have to skip over some of it. This could be a multiple, multiple series. This could be a series in this passage alone. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, it's from God, but that I am of flesh and I am sold under sin. This is the important, this is one of the important things here, that the law stands above us, we can never live up to it, because it is God's law, it's not our law. We can create laws, and we do in our nation, to help, you know, the 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 country or our city or our societies be safe and orderly. But those laws are man's laws. The law Paul is talking about is God's law. It's a spiritual law. It is one of truth, and, and it is the, the absolute truth of the morality of who we should be. But he says, listen, we are not spiritual. We have sin in us, and it's that sin that we are slaves to. And because of that sin, we cannot attain the law. We're, we're, we're trapped. We're in bondage. We're, we're hostages. We're prisoners of war. And we can't free ourselves. And, and that's where he unfolds it here. Because we try, and the Israelites tried over and over and over again to free themselves and to be righteous. And it says, for... I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And this is rhetoric that he's going to use for the next multiple verses. I believe it's like five or six verses. He just keeps repeating himself because he's trying to get you to understand that there is no way around this where you're able to do it on your own. You can't. We can't. We're not able to do the right thing. We can want to do the right thing, which is the, which is good. And that is to do and uphold the law of God, to live the way God wanted us to live. 
we know as Christians that the, the law is fulfilled through Christ. And God, and Christ gave us this amazing sermon in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, which takes the very huge law of the Israelites and he shows us the, the, the real way to interpret it and to live it out. But on our own, we cannot even do that part. It's, um, it's impossible. We want to. And I spent a large portion of my life trying to live the right way. Trying to do it the way the Bible told me to do it. I would, I would bear down and say, okay, listen, I have enough willpower to not do this anymore. I'm just going to not do it anymore. And I always ended up doing it again. How many of you were like that? How many of you have had moments like that where you have, you're not proud of something you've done or you're not proud of a habit you have and you tried to change it? And you fail because you're doing it under your own power. You're doing it with your own willpower, and we do not have that ability because we are slaves to sin. There's no way on our own we can do it. And I believe there are Christians everywhere who still live in that bondage. That if I live up to the, to the list of rules that the Christian world has put in my life, that, that is normally based on the Bible, but often is like the Jewish, the Jewish law where we've added lots of stuff to it to make us look the way we think God wants us to look. There are lots of Christians who try to live into that image and they fail. And man, there is so much shame and so much fear and so much bitterness, really, that they can't do it. I, that was me all through high school. That was me for most of college. I, I mean, I had to really, I mean, I was studying to be a pastor in college and I still was not getting it yet. But when you get it, when you understand, and we're going to get there, I don't want to, you know, spoil it yet. But when you get it, when you get the true solution, then, then there's so much freedom. There's so much peace that you get to live in. So, we, we don't do the things we want to do. We want to do one thing, but we're always failing. And we hate this thing, and we never want to do this, but we always seem to go back to it. Okay, that's where Paul's at. So verse 21, he says, So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Again, the law, the law is good here. When I want to do the law, I see the evil that's surrounding me because it points out the sin in my life. It says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here is the lie that I, I believe that the devil 
has convinced the church of. That when we live by the law and we wrap it around us thinking this is the thing that makes us Christian. I read one of my commentators who actually even related this to, like if you, if you are part of a Christian, Christian nation, a nation that tries to be a Christian nation, and, and it becomes more and more part of who you are, it actually is the thing that is smothering you more and more and putting you into further bondage. It is such a, it's such a complicated idea. Uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. It is such a, a backwards or, or, I can't think of the word right now. It is such a distorted view of what we think it should be. We think that if we live according to what God wants us to do, then we should be more and more like Christ, right? Or more and more like God or what God wants us to be. And that's good, right? But you see, the more and more we put our trust in the law that is telling us what to be, the more and more we are actually moving away from the thing that actually makes us more like God which is Christ. See, Paul is waging a, is waging a verbal war against, with the, the, the Romans and what they had believed because they put so much stock in the, in the law. They were actually telling the Gentiles who were becoming part of their church. So a Gentile is just anybody who wasn't a Jew who was believing in Christ, who was coming part of the church. They were telling the Gentiles, you have to actually become a Jew and then you become a Christian because you have to adhere to the law of Moses. And Paul, up until this point, has been saying, listen, the law is not the thing that saves you. The law is just a tool that God was using. It's just a thing that actually, if you put your trust in it, if you put all of your hope in the law, that brings you death. It's Christ that brings you life. So nobody has to go to the law for salvation. They go to Christ for salvation. And that's where Paul lands us. And that's where we need to land. It says, who can save me? Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is only through Christ. In the passage, in the verses 21 through 24, Paul is, he's, he's, he's making a, a, a judicial case against the law and against us. And he's saying, listen, it, neither of us, neither of those things is the, is the thing at fault. The thing that's at fault is the sin. And he says there is a war that is raging. Now, God is the masterful general who is battling for each and every one of us. And many people interpret this passage to talk about how the law was God's first attempt to bring morality to the people of Israel or to, or to the people in general. And, and that's not really what it's trying to tell us here. He's not saying, listen, this is just a morality thing and you just have to do the right moral, moral thing. Because up until this point, the Israelites thought they were better than everyone else because they had this moral guideline. And I think that we Christians fall into that same trap, that we think we're better because we have this moral guideline. 
There are a lot of very moral people in the world who do not have a relationship with God that often are more moral than we can be sometimes. And we have this idea, just like the Jews did, that we are better because we are Christians. And Paul is telling the Jews in this passage and us in this passage that you are not better than those who are morally, the pagan morals, those who are a moralist in in the world outside of our faith. Really, you are just like them. The war rages on just as much in you as it does in them. And actually, God is saying, listen, I gave you the law. I gave you the moral law in order to make you more sinful. But why? Why? Why did he want Israel to be more sinful? It tells tells us that it's so... They became so sinful that it that sin became beyond measure, like we talked about. But why? They were supposed to be the moral compass for the world around them. They were supposed to be this light in the darkness. Why did they become so sinful? Here's the reason. Because God was at war with sin. He was at war with the thing that holds us bondage, holds us captive. We are prisoners of war between the devil and between God, and sin is our bondage. And God said, listen, okay, here's the thing. I can wage war and I can create, I can win victories here and there, but I have to, I have to win the decisive victory. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a scenario where, where the most sin in the world is all, is all focused in one place. And then within that culture, within that thing, I'm going to bring the one thing that can save them, the Messiah. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm sorry. If my voice breaks, I'm getting passionate. I apologize. I don't apologize. I'm just telling you what's happening right now to me. Here's the thing. God had to allow Israel to become so sinful that when Christ was present on earth, that he could take all of the sin, all of the, the wickedness and the evil that was there and that will ever be, and he can bring it into one place on Christ hanging on the cross. And that through that death, through that moment where Jesus, who was the Son of God, who chose, who chose, he could have said no, but he didn't. He said yes because he loves you. He could have said no, but instead he said yes, and he hangs on the cross. And in that moment, every sin that has ever occurred, every sin that will ever occur, every sin that you will ever commit, stood on him, and he died for it. Winning the war 2,000 years ago. So that when we have faith in him, when we put our trust in him, instead of the law, because the law doesn't save us, but if we trust him, the one, the one who wins the war for us, then we are truly free of the bondage. So that it's no longer, I don't do what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do. Instead, it's I trust him and he makes me able to do the things that I need to do, which is be like God. Now, let's take a cleansing breath here. This should change your life. And I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus, because that should change your life if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, please, please, please 
Read about Him. Learn about Him. Pray to Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Trust Him and He will free you. He will free you from the bondage. But I'm talking also to those of us who have been Christians our whole lives. For those of us who have been Christians and are still figuring it out, who have been Christians so long that we are stuck in the ruts of who we are as Christians, and we so often fall into the comfort of the law. But God is saying, listen, that isn't what saves us. That isn't what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that when you are struggling, you go to Christ. When you have sinned, you go to Christ and He forgives you again and again and again and again. And over time, we trust in Him more and more. And the more we trust in Him, the less we want to sin. It's called sanctification. It's a process that takes your entire life. But it's this thing that Christ wants to do in each of us that allows us to become truly more like Him. Actually, it makes us what we were meant to be when God created humanity. This being who trusts in the Maker, who allows Him to help us be human. I want that for you. I want that for me. It is a daily thing that I give my life to Christ. I say, Christ, I give you today. I give you my next 24 hours. Help me to be more like you in this moment, in today. You know who I will meet. You know who I will talk to. You know what I'm going to have to do today. Guide me and lead me. Give me your strength. Help me to stay away from the things I should not be around. Help me to not fall to the things that I hate. That can be for you too. I encourage you to do that. Because that is, that's the very thing that makes God's grace amazing. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago from, from Romans 5, that while we were still his enemies, the very sinful heart, the heart of sin, while we were in that, he died for us so that we don't have to be there anymore. And that brings us hope because it can be different. It brings us peace because we no longer have to fear or have to try to live up to some standard that there is no way I can live up to on my own. Instead, I live for Christ and I allow Him to make me what He wants me to be so that I can be a model of love and grace to the people around me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the times I try to do it on my own. Father, forgive me for the times I rely on the law for my save my salvation. Continue to fill me with your spirit. Fill each of us with your spirit. Continue to make us more like you. Thank you for freeing us. Thank you for taking us. And, and instead of being a prisoner of war, we are saved in your grace, standing on your rock that will never move or shake.
Father, thank you for the writings of Paul. Even though they can be confusing, they have so much strength and power in them. Thank you for your spirit who speaks to us through it. Thank you for the people out there. Father, I pray that you will open their eyes to where they need you more. I pray that they, you will open the eyes of those who maybe don't have a relationship with you. Open their hearts. Help them to see that you can save them. Father, if there's anyone out there and, and they want to be freed, Father, may they pray with me. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he died on a cross for my sins. Thank you that he freed me. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept the freedom that comes from my faith in him, my trusting in him. Thank you for your grace. Help me to take each day, one day at a time, continually recommitting every day for you. May we be models of your grace. May we be models of your love. May we be models of those who will reach out to a very broken world and let them know that there is freedom in the love of Christ. Father, I pray that you will open our mouths to talk to people about it. Bring people into our lives, I pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing in our community. I thank you for what you're doing in our world, Lord. I pray that you do continue to be with those who are sick and those who are dealing with the viruses. We need your help. We thank you for how you are working your will in all things, and may we be a part of it, I pray. We trust you. We love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for tomorrow. We thank you for how you will always be with us. In your holy, holy name we pray. Amen. We are so glad that you were with us today. I pray for you. I pray that you have an amazing week. Give every day to God. May it be better than the day before. Live in the freedom you have in him. Have a great week.